will serve as the focus of our sermon this evening is last Sunday's Old Testament lesson, Exodus 3, verses 1 to 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange, strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain." Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, my brothers and sisters in Christ. You talk to people differently because different people listen to you differently. You talk to your boss differently than you talk to your kids because your boss is listening to you to hear how things are going, to hear how you're doing at your job, to hear if you are worth hiring. Your kids are listening for advice, maybe, affirmation, or they're listening to catch you in your words you talk to your therapist differently than you talk to anyone else because you know what your therapist is listening for. Your therapist is listening for themes, listening for problems, listening for things to address in your session because if you don't bring it up, 
he or she can't help you address it. So you talk differently to them. How do you talk to God? How does God listen to you? What is he listening for? God is always listening, isn't he? He's always seeing from your lips to God's ears. We have that saying, recognizing that you better be careful what you wish for, careful what you say, because God's always listening. Sometimes we think of God like the elf on the shelf. He's always there even when you forget about him, and he's seeing what you're doing, so you better be on your best behavior. And if you think about it, it's kind of scary, isn't it? To know that everything you have ever done, God has seen. Every word you have ever spoken, God has heard. Every thought that you've ever had, God knows completely. Every sin you have committed, whether in public or private, God's seen it. That can be quite scary to think about. But what might even be scarier is to think, maybe God doesn't see. Maybe God doesn't hear. Maybe God doesn't know what's going on in my life. And if you're tempted or have ever been tempted to think that way, maybe your sinful nature will mount as evidence that time that you got sick and you stayed sick way longer than you thought was necessary and God didn't help you. Or that time when something terrible happened to you and, and or someone that you love and care about deeply, God didn't stop it from happening. That time that you endured tragedy or just watched it happen helplessly as people, human, other human beings were suffering and it didn't seem like God was doing anything about it. God, what are you doing? Can't you see this? Can't you hear us crying out for you? And thoughts like that, temptations like that, undoubtedly were on the hearts of the Israelites as they were enslaved in Egypt. For 400 years, enduring backbreaking work, enduring the oppression of the Egyptians, their racism, their hatred, and they had to face up to the fact that the most wealthy and most powerful nation at the time was only getting more wealthy and more powerful, and it was because of their labor, their free labor. And this lifestyle of just constant suffering, working 16 plus hours a day, you knew that your dad did it, his dad did it, if you had kids, they were probably going to do it too, because this cycle has been going on for so many generations, you would think it's not going to stop. Doesn't seem like God sees what is happening, doesn't seem like God is going to do anything to stop this cycle of slavery and misery in Egypt. Brothers and sisters, we know better than to say that, don't we? God does see. God does hear. He knows everything. He sees everything. He hears everything. And he hears all the times that we've even come close to accusing him of not knowing what he's doing to accusing him of not responding to our suffering or our tragedy the way we think he should. Because it's arrogant is what it is. To think that God is listening for our criticism, 
to think that God is a student waiting to see what letter grade we give him on how he's handling the world and its affairs. To think that God is our therapist and he's just listening to us because he doesn't know our problems. He's just listening for us to bring them up because otherwise he wouldn't know how to help us. No, God is none of these things. What is he? Who is he? I am who I am. Sounds strikingly similar to a saying that you probably say or hear hundreds of times every day. It is what it is, right? What does it is what it is mean? When your boss is giving you tough assignments with horribly cruel deadlines and calling you and texting you and asking you how you're doing on those projects, on those assignments. Are you done yet? And this, he's not respecting your personal time, and you can't live like this. You've complained to HR multiple times, but they can't do anything, and he's not going to change. So finally, you need the job. You need to stay in it. So you just say, eh, it is what it is. Can't do anything about it. Can't change anything about it. God is who God is. God will be who God will be. God will do what God will do. And you and I, we can't change that. We can't affect that. We can't offer God course correction suggestions. And that could seem really frustrating because what if God's going to do something you disagree with that leaves you in the balance? But realize, this isn't the only thing God said about himself when he talked to Moses, is it? He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just three examples from the Old Testament of men who did not deserve God's love and attention, but who got it. People who they and their families received the providence of God, the promises of God, the blessing of God, even when they failed and sinned horrendously against him. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is a way of saying he's the God of people. He's the God of showing grace to people. And because God is who God is, nothing's going to change that. He will always be exactly who he always been, has been, a God of grace, a God of mercy, and a God of justice. God did hear the shouts, the cries, the prayers of Israel. He did see everything Egypt was doing against them. And when the time was right, when the hour to act had come, he raised up for them a leader, Moses, to lead them out of slavery into freedom in the, one of the most dramatic acts of salvation in the entire Bible that we call the Exodus. So that Israel, for the rest of their history as a nation, could think about this moment when God demonstrated his love for them, demonstrated how much, how close attention he was paying to their suffering to deliver them out of slavery from Egypt. But when you think about it, that was just a picture, just a snapshot of the real deliverance that was to come, wasn't it? Brothers and sisters, God has seen your suffering. 
God has heard your cries. God knows everything you have gone through. He has seen you suffer under the oppression of your own sin, of your own guilt, and his love for you couldn't stand it. His compassion for you moved him to act, and when the time was right, he didn't raise up some human leader, but he came down himself to forgive you all your sins, to offer up the life of Jesus Christ on a cross to save you from your greatest oppressors, sin, death, and the devil. Because God was going to do something about those things causing you suffering. So he has declawed and defanged your death. He has promised you eternal life through his son, Jesus. When you realize that someone is listening to your phone call, that can be pretty creepy, pretty embarrassing, especially when you're calling mom and you're complaining about dad for a half hour and you realize that dad has been on the other line the whole time and he heard everything that you said. But when you're talking to your abuser and you hear their chilling voice recount all the things they did to you, and they have a smile on their face as they retell the story of all the crimes they've committed against you, and you remember that there's a team of detectives listening in to the whole conversation, recording it all, the fact that someone else hears this is an amazing comfort because you know that justice will be done. God has been listening in, has been intricately and intimately involved in your life this whole time. He's not sitting back as a spectator watching things happen to you, but he is going to bring his justice. Not on you, not to punish you for your sins, but against your oppressors. How does God listen? He listens kind of like this. When you see, when you're at a kid's soccer game and you see one of the kids is getting pummeled, just getting uh, abused out there on the field, and the ref isn't throwing yellow cards or red cards or anything, if you're the coach, you're probably pretty upset. But if you're that kid's dad, you're out there on that field ready to go to blows, aren't you? How does God listen in? How has God been watching the things happen to you in your life? He is your heavenly father. And he's just not going to sit back and watch sin and the devil torment you without something to say about it. And so he sent Jesus to forgive you and unite you to himself. To show you that he is who he is. He is always going to be the God of grace for you. He's not going to change. His forgiveness for you is not going to change. His love for you is not going to change. God listens to you, your prayers, your cries with compassion. God's compassion for you moves him to act. God's compassion for you makes some pretty great things happen. Amen.